Thanks for listening to episode 227 of the 200 Churches Podcast. We've got this addiction to addition with our Bibles. We keep thinking, wow, if I get more help in there, not just chapters and verses, but section headings. Study Bible. Right? Study Bible, cross-references, more footnotes, more call-out pages, and pretty soon that thing is completely overwhelmed, and you can't see the text for all the helps. And we think that's how you help people engage the Bible. And I know the research. People, frankly, get overwhelmed when they look at a study Bible. I was at a Christian booksellers convention one summer. The guy presented research that says when people physically open a study Bible, there's measurable anxiety that increases because they're seeing so much stuff. They're like, how am I possibly going to master this? It's intimidating. And it's a big book anyway. What if we went back to saying, just read? Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a fresh episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now here are two guys who, like you, serve in the trenches of small church ministry. The Bert and Ernie of Ministry Podcasts, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Johnny Craig, and uh, I'm enjoying an early morning Diet Coke with my friend and colleague. Well, Jeff Katie has a V8. You're a very healthy man, Jeff Katie. Not really. Low sodium, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, oh, the drinks man. of choice this morning, Johnny. I already had my cup of coffee. I had a meeting with somebody at 6.30 this morning, Ooh. which is very strange. And uh, I had a cup of coffee then, and then I had some salty, some salty things to eat, and now I need a Diet Coke. In order to be ready for that meeting, did you have to get up a half hour before you went to bed? I hope the person who I had the meeting uh, with is not listening right now. But I remembered this meeting when my alarm went off this morning at 6.30. Okay? Ooh. So I was there five minutes late, but I don't think he couldn't even tell. It was fine. You know, I I try to tell Johnny, those of you (laughs) pastors who are 50 and over, you know, we cannot do that anymore. Ah, you're fine. I remember doing it. I remember doing it. We cannot we cannot wake up and be somewhere in five minutes anymore. I suppose Do you have to put your the, face on. Oh, uh, if the earth were falling apart, I suppose we could move, <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. Johnny, today we have an episode that you are not on, unfortunately. Yeah, I see how it is. You know, my beloved and dear friend Rob. Yes. Who can say two hundred church podcast or two hundred churches podcast? It doesn't matter to me how he says it. Now Rob was just texting us this morning. As long as he says two hundred in the name somewhere, you got to be nice. You got to be nice. <laughs> You're trying. Basically, what's happening is Jeff is trying out new co-hosts. Well, Rob, yeah, but the problem with this co-host is he's already said that I am dead to him. <laughs> It's not good yes, when your co-host true. says you're dead to me. That's very true. So we were in uh, Alexandria, Virginia yes. at this conference, this Missio Alliance conference. Yes. And I sat down with Glenn Powell, who is with the Institute for Bible Reading. Mm-hmm. I heard Glenn on another podcast. Yes. I think he had a partner with him. I don't remember. But what he said was really good. And we just happened to bump into him at this conference. Literally, right in front of the Institute for Bible Reading booth. There he is. Well, it sounds like he should be there, but he wasn't there. No. Somebody else was there. Yeah. But he just came walking along. Yes. They introduced us. And I said, man, I heard you, and I would love to sit down and talk with you. Yes. You had something else scheduled. I did, yes. And so I drug, I drug whatever I could find, and that was Rob. I drug him into the room with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Rob, be my co-host. We'll go in and we'll talk to Glenn Jeff together. Jeff couldn't find a cold piece of bologna, so I he... Uh... So I had to use Pastor Rob. So 
So listen, this we're we're goofing around right now, but this is a huge, huge episode. I was I was amazed by this guy and the yeah. things that he had to say and how they lined up with so many things that I've thought as a Bible teacher and preacher over so many years. Uh, you know, with the chapter and verse construction of the Bible, sure. yep. which the authors of Scripture did not put in. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Every translation is an interpretation. Uh, yeah. And every verse division is, is an, an interpretation. interpretation. Absolutely. And every subheading division oh, is an interpretation. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of Ephesians right now. and uh, You know, that the, the Psalms have subheadings, yeah. right? Right before verse 1. And I remember as a kid in a certain kind of a church, the arguments that would ensue on whether or not they were scriptural or inspired. Oh, my. And whether or not we should read them when we read the psalm. Oh, my. So the subheadings in like the NIV, right? They're not inspired. No. And, and all these things interpret scripture for us. And the uh, Institute for Bible Reading is taking on a project that Glenn's going to talk about where there's going to be links here in episode 227 yeah. to the Institute's website. I think it's just Institute. Let me see what it is. It is uh, instituteforbiblereading.org. That's easy. Real easy. It says, ushering in a new era of Bible reading. They've got this uh, the, the reader's version of the Bible. And maybe you've seen these. This is kind of a popular thing that's happening. Um, there's companies that are, are creating these readers versions at single column. It looks like a book when you open it up instead right. of like a chopped up Bible. And, uh, but some of these books, some of these Bibles cost hundreds of dollars. They're fancy bound and everything. They've come up with, I want to say it's eight volumes and, or six volumes or something like that. I think it's six. And it's, uh, it's inexpensive. They were actually giving away the New Testaments at this Missio Alliance conference when right. we were there. Uh, I grabbed a couple. They encouraged people to take more than one. So I grabbed a couple. My wife and I have been enjoying it. But it does a fresh way to read the Bible, a fresh way to look at it. They chose the NLT, which maybe you don't like the NLT, whatever. They wanted something that's easy to read because they're all about Bible. This is not Bible study. This is Bible reading, Bible literacy. Not deep, you know, well, inductive he, stuff. Actually, as he says, not Bible literacy even, but Bible fluency. Okay, there Bible you go. Fluency. So let's get out of the way. You're going to hear Glenn Powell and uh, me and Rob chime in from time to time. But this is great, and we're so glad to share it with you. I'm here with Glenn Powell from the Institute for Bible Reading. Glenn, welcome to this remote location of the 200 Churches podcast. Thank you, Jeff. It's great to be a part of this. The place where we're at, at the Alfred Street Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia, this little room is about 10 times better than the usual luxurious and opulent 200 Churches podcast studio. I am, I'm also here with my guest co-host, Rob Tarnaviski from Philadelphia. Rob, thanks for joining us because uh, Johnny wanted to go to some... Art class Yeah, something. some finger painting thing. Something, yeah. He yeah. said he was having problems with his kids when he had to help them with their art homework. Yes. So he thought that this might actually help him. Happy to jump in and help. Amen. So Rob, usually we are we are pounding you about stuff on the podcast. You're uh-huh. just kind of like our, our kick-the-can go-to lackey, yep. yeah. the butt of all of our jokes. <laughs> so now you're on. So I encourage you it, to throw Johnny under the bus at funny. any moment. Johnny rips me ah. on multiple podcasts, but when we sit next to each other at lunch, he treats me very nicely. Isn't that interesting, Rob? Very interesting. Interesting. Very interesting. So you're not like twice his size and weight or anything, are you? We just had a great we had a great lunch. Rob, tell our listeners what you told Johnny about people in your church 
coming up to you and telling you stuff about our podcast? Um, we have several people at my church that listen to the 200 Church mm. podcast. And so when Johnny rips me or my accent or says, yo, yo, Adrian, or water, or whatever, <laughs> people come up to me and say, Pastor Rob, did you hear Johnny ripping you on the 200 <laughs> Church podcast? It really helps with so your credibility in your own congregation. It does. Oh, so, man. Johnny, thanks for building me up in the eyes of my congregation. I appreciate it. Amen. Well, I was traveling recently, Glenn, and I listened to this podcast called The Church Leaders Podcast. And you came on and you were talking about Bible translations. And you talked about how the chapter and verse divisions actually cause the church to take, look at the Bible as a reference book and as a proof text type of a thing. And that they, they lost somehow reading the Bible for uh, the way it should have been read as a book, as it may be as a narrative, as a story mm-hmm. from God. And Johnny and I have been talking about this kind of stuff for a while, and mm-hmm. I've been throwing into sermons mm-hmm. every so often. I've just been saying, you know, we've got these chapter and verse divisions here. Th- these are not inspired, okay? And so I'm kind of throwing that out. And then I hear your podcast episode. I think, oh, my goodness, I would love to talk mm-hmm. to you about this. We're at the same conference. I literally bumped into you, and here we are. So Great. thanks for carving out a little time. Happy to be here. I think, I think it's a conversation the church is ready for. And, and again, tell us the organization you're with, how long you've been with them, and what your role is there. Yeah, so it's a brand new organization. It's just a nonprofit. Four of us from the Bible publishing world got together and said, we don't want to just publish and sell Bibles. We've done that for about three decades Hmm. Um, and we said the research shows there's a significant connection problem with your average churchgoer and the scriptures. And we said we can keep selling Bibles so that the average house, which now has four, could get their fifth yeah. or maybe their sixth. But right. that's not really changing the game. So we wanted to start an organization that was focused 100% on Bible engagement. So it's the Institute for Bible Reading. There's just four of us. Uh, we're, we're getting it going have a new partnership with Tyndale. We're, we're trying to influence the growth of this reading Bible movement that's starting to happen. And we think people, we know a lot of people are struggling deeply with what to do with their Bible. How does it speak today? And we're trying to offer them new solutions. And it starts, frankly, with this new format. So is this your, is this your full-time job? It what is. You're doing? It is. So, yeah, I've been safely uh, getting a paycheck and having my insurance and okay. everything for a, a publishing company. And uh, now we're, we're month to month and we're raising money and, mm. and buying insurance. But we just said, you look, this might not work out, but if, if we don't go after engagement, we're not going to feel good about what we've been doing for 30 years. So you're actually like going by maybe like the leading of the spirit or your conscience or something like that? Something like that. Um, we're, we're just moved. Two of the guys came from Zondervan uh, and their, their history. Two of us from uh, Biblica, formerly International Bible Society. Okay. Great work, translation, Bible publishing, distribution. Um, but we've just found that there's some work to be done, focused especially on what people are doing with the scriptures when they get one. So not, not just the transfer to them of a scripture, but what's happening when they have one in their hands. So what is it that you've seen about Bible reading that caused you to do this? Like, what is it that's alarmed you about it? Yeah, well, you use the phrase Bible reading. I'm not sure that there's much Bible reading going on. We call this, how many people, some of the research I've seen says, how many people read the Bible outside of church 
on any given week. And the number is alarmingly low. And, and even there, the definition of reading means they opened it up maybe to read a verse. I don't call that Bible reading. I don't think the Holy Spirit inspired a collection of books meant to be taken in one little piece at a time. And we've developed the fine art of what we call doing something with the Bible, Bible engagement, taking the Bible seriously, is taking in these little pieces, often out of context, and meanwhile, we're not reading, we're not, we're not eating, in Eugene Peterson's language, whole books, which in, in my view of things, and, and I look at the history of the scriptures, what they were, what we have now, the fundamental unit of the Bible are these books. It's a collection of these books. And we've come to think of the Bible as a collection of chapters and verses. And because of the way God's world works, it's a physical world. He created the form of things to be related to the use of things, the content of things. And what we've done is by creating a new form of the scriptures, making it look exactly like a reference book, naturally that's what we started doing with the Bible. And this is all tied to recent Bible history. It's in the modern period that the form of the Bible changed. It wasn't always like this. It wasn't originally like this. But now we have received a reference book Bible. So we do reference book kinds of things. And so I'm alarmed by the usual statistics about um, Bible literacy, right? People don't know the Bible. Um, they're not reading the Bible. They can't tell you what the overall story of the, the narrative, the big narrative of the Bible is, what it actually, what content it contains. And they don't know how to use the Bible to speak into their daily lives. And I think the modern strategies for what to do with the Bible, to have it speak today, are failing for most people. And it's time for, for something fresh, something new. So when I was a kid, I used to have, uh, my mom had this little, like, plastic loaf of bread on the table. And it had those little, they're like Chinese fortunes, only they're not curled into a, into a cookie. Yeah. And they're all sitting in the daily bread. And you'd pull out mm-hmm. your little verse, and at each meal... You would read the verse, and of course, when you memorize verses as a kid, you have to know the reference. Yes. I'm not sure how, it probably helps a little bit. At least you can locate it to find, I don't know, maybe the context or something. <laughs> uh, but but how, do, how do you think things like that in our Christian culture, and I'm doing air quotes here, mm-hmm. in our Christian culture, that kind of a thing, and the, you know, I can do all things through Christ type of, you know, references, how, how has that affected the church's engagement with the Word of God? Well, it's, it's how it's affected its disengagement with the Word of God. Because what we've ended up doing is kind of cherry-picking a top 10 or 20 list of these are the verses I can live by. I ran across the phrase the other day on social media where people are living a Bible-less Christianity. Other than the kind of the nicely decorated or maybe with a scenic photograph in the background, these these top 10 verses... For I know the plans I have for you, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Be strong and courageous. I mean, I know the list. I've seen version's list of the favorite verses of the entire globe hmm. on their program. And it's remarkable how these, these few verses have risen to the top. And there are people who aren't doing any more Bible engagement than thinking, I have a word of encouragement or a promise, and that's what I need from the Scriptures. And I think if you're a young, pe- a young person growing up in the church, if you're just watching this phenomena, and no one, no one tells you. I mean, we don't teach kids. Look, just it's a big, complicated book. Just go look for the little nice parts. There's a few of them scattered in there. It's kind of a game to find where they are. 
and then just live off of those. Like, is what what are they to think? We don't we don't teach them how to use the Bible holistically. We, we don't give them a loaf of bread for their daily bread, their daily manna. We give them a little morsel, and, and they're they're learning. If they just watch what adults do with the Bible, it's okay to just take this little piece. You don't even have to worry about what's said before it or after it. I mean, it's immediate context, much less it's context in the whole story of the Bible. Where, where does it fit into the ongoing drama? And what's, what's happening in that story? Where is this taken from? They don't know Joshua 1.9 from Jeremiah 29.11 from Philippians 4.10. They're just, they're just picking verses with these references, these street addresses. And I think it's, uh, it's almost scandalous. And the other thing is people are checking out. Young people in particular, the Bible research shows, are checking out of the Bible. They're there for the first time, for a long time, with people like George Gallup, earlier work of George Barna, showed that people overwhelmingly had really great things to say about the Bible, even as they were ignoring it. George Gallup always used to say it's the best-selling, least-read book in America. Yeah. But the thing that's changing in the new research with younger people, they're starting to say... Not, I don't think it's such a great book. I'm hearing another narrative about the Bible mm. that it's full of problematic texts. It's, it's down on women, right? It's a violent book. Uh, it's pro-slavery, etc. They hear these things, and they say, you know, the Bible can be interpreted this way and that. It's got some really bad stuff in there. So uh, I'm not sure it's a book that should be influencing anybody at all. And they're checking out in big numbers. So I think it's time for the church to say our modern strategies for what to do with the Bible are up for, for reevaluation. It's time for a Bible makeover because the old model not only was inauthentic to what the Bible actually is, it's people are not, you're not capturing their imaginations anymore. And, and except for this hardcore group of people who are serious about the Bible and are committed to it and they, they do get value from it, um, we're losing the overall battle with the Bible. Um, and I think it's time to be more honest with the Bible, to recapture people's imaginations with a view of the Bible that accepts the Bible God actually gave us. I don't think he really meant for us to just find the few good verses and ignore the rest. Why is the rest of it in there? It's time for us to accept the whole Bible and say, is there a way to read it well so that it really does have spiritual value today? And how, how does a book like this, the actual Bible we have with these old stories, ancient cultures, moving toward something that's new and, and completely different in the revelation of Jesus, how do we read the Bible so that it makes sense for us today? And has value. So that's, that's kind of our story at the Institute. That we're going after that problem. So, Glenn, when you say you're not sure the old model mm. is working for mm-hmm. t- today, yeah. what do you mean when you say the old model of the Bible? Yeah, so for us, that's kind of a modernistic paradigm, and we think of it as, as a model. Um, it came to birth, really, with the very first chapter and verse Bible, the Geneva Bible in the 16th century, late in the Bible's history, when chapters and verses were used together for the very first time. Interestingly, that happened within a short time frame when the printing press was was developed and vernacular translations were coming on board. German, Martin Luther, um, we're getting English Bibles. So instead of just this Latin Vulgate Bible, now we're starting to get Bibles in the language of the people. They're starting to get mass produced. And right at that moment is when chapter and verses Bibles came into their own. So the Bibles that the people encountered to have their very own Bible for the first time in their own language was a chapter and verse Bible. And not only that, 
those early modern editions had every single verse as a separate paragraph. So no matter where you were in the Bible, it's two columns. It all looked exactly the same. Yeah. You didn't know if you were in a letter or a, or a piece of poetry yeah. or a story or a proverb or a prophecy. I mean, it just all looks the same. It looks for all the world like a list of numbered spiritual statements meant to be read alone and out of context. And lo and behold, that's when things like proof texting were born. It's a thing the church didn't do before. And the church started lining up verses to prove doctrines, started using these verses for devotional encouragement pieces for people. We started thinking the way you prove something is true from the Bible is you find a list of proof texts, and that establishes a biblical doctrine. And we started doing modernistic things with the, with the Bible and thinking that's the strategy. The Bible is a modern book now. It's like a scientific book. It's a reference book. And we use it to look up these little pieces of spiritual truth which prove things or encourage us or whatever kind of use we're making of it. But what we really walked away from was a collection of books, different kinds of writing to be understood on their own terms, coming together to tell the story of God and the world, focused on Jesus as the supreme revelation, the light through which all of Scripture should be read. That kind of walked away in this early modern period. And we've been struggling with the Bible ever since then. I think the, 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 the research really shows, although the, the modern period started with a strong Western civilization, a um, lot of interest in the Bible, a lot of respect for the Bible, centuries later, we're, we're losing those things. Modernity, right? Since the Enlightenment yes, yes. and there's been an emphasis on certainty, mm. which it feeds right into using the proof texts and then reading uh, so much in the Bible out of this uh, literal interpretation. Mm-hmm. You know, only a passage maybe where Jesus said, if your eye offends you, you know, pluck it out. Okay, even the literalists will say, you know, well, okay, we'd understand that there's a lesson there. Yeah. But so so many churches and Bible teachers since media technology came of age. So you've got Bible teachers on the radio, Bible teachers on television. There have been a lot of them that have focused on the literal interpretation, and a lot of proof texting goes in with that. And uh, I think I heard when you talked on that other podcast, you brought up some of that stuff. And do you want to just unpack that just a little bit? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, it started with really... You know, this was, this was uh, Calvin's Geneva, where this Bible was born. Um, William Whittingham was the guy who first put these together into an English Bible, chapters and verses in this new format. And what it led to, first of all, was, you know, it was very useful format if you're fighting with Catholics about the doctrine of justification by faith or something. So what you can do is you can look up these references and you can list them and you start to, like, it's a, it's a battlefield thing, like it's a weapon. And, and you can list verses that prove your teaching. We have, I would say, a softer version of that today, but a lot of devotionals are kind of based on that same model, even our topical Bible studies. You pick a topic, and then you'll find a list of verses in, in your curriculum that say, go look up these verses, and that's about this topic, marriage or money or whatever we think you know, we want to get from the Bible. And that's the Bible's reference book. Yes, and that's right. the Bible's reference book. So we look up these references, but I think, okay, wait, what happens? So I see a scripture reference there, and I see a list of them, when I go look one up, and then I'm expected to go look the other one up, am I stopping to say, wait a minute, what book is that from? Uh, that's too much work. Glenn, wait, Glenn, that's too much what work. What kind of writing is that? Is that, a poet, is that poetry from the yeah. Psalms? Is that, a, is that imagery? Is that a metaphor? Is this a story? What, what, am, what kind of literature am I in? Is it a proverb? 
I mean, uh, and it's the first step to interpreting the Bible is saying, look, the author of a book is offering us a contract when he chooses a genre, a way of writing, you know, a certain kind of writing to communicate God's truth, if we don't accept the terms of that contract and say, I will interpret this writing by the form you chose as an author, I'm immediately doing a disservice to that author. If I'm, if I'm reading a proverb as an absolute promise, you know, kind of like Job's friends were, were trying to do with him, saying, hey, if there's a problem in your life, it's because your life is wrong. And I got proverbs that can back that up. But they're not absolute promises. They're descriptions of the way the world generally goes if you follow or don't follow God's good ways of living. And so if we're not taking that stuff on board, if we don't have no time for that, then all those lists of verses that are in this topical Bible study, um, we're in grave danger of misinterpreting them and misusing the Bible. Each one has to be said, okay, not just what kind of writing is this, where in the Bible story am I? Some of the parts from the earlier um, sections of the Bible are no longer in force today after the Jesus event. So you can't just pick willy-nilly a verse from the Bible and say, that's God's final answer to this question. Um, we have to take seriously the fact that the scriptures come together to tell a story, and some earlier parts of the story are let go as the fuller thing comes later. It's, it's a very interesting... And I think we just need kind of a um, more honest, a fresh approach to the scriptures, and because of the relationship between form and content, I think the first step is to start presenting people the Bible in forms that honor what kind of books the Bible really is. And all these additives, you know, we've, we've got this addiction to addition with our Bibles. We keep thinking, wow, if I get more help in there, not just chapters and verses, but section headings. Study Bible. Right? Yeah. Study Bible, cross-references, more footnotes, more call-out pages, and pretty soon that thing is completely overwhelmed, and you can't see the text for all the helps. And we think that's how you help people engage the Bible and I know the research. People, frankly, get overwhelmed when they look at a study Bible. I was at a Christian booksellers convention one summer. The guy presented research that says when people physically open a study Bible, there's measurable anxiety that increases um, because they're seeing so much stuff. They're like, how am I possibly going to master this? It's intimidating. And it's a big book anyway. What if we went back to saying, just read so read first and then study second. But first of all, we just have to recover reading the Bible. Like, we need to become familiar with it again as, as letters. Like, when, when Paul delivered a letter to a church, they didn't stop and say, well, well, let's read the first three verses, and next week come back, we'll talk about the next three. They just read the letter out loud in front of the so whole church. So taking 28 years to preach through Romans? <laughs> right, is right. not probably the best approach? Not, and, not. And, Having a Bible that looks a lot like a four-color, eighth-grade earth science book is maybe not the best approach. Right. I think um, rediscovering the literature of the Bible, which is, is really, I mean, we have to take seriously, if we have a high view of Scripture, then we have to have a high view of inspiration that says the form that was chosen matters. I mean, a story is a different thing than a letter. They do different things in God's, God's world. Um, prophecy, song lyrics... We have to read song lyrics like the songs that they are. Lament, praise, thanksgiving. There's, there's just a new world of Bible awareness. And, and I'm really not that interested in Bible literacy for its own sake. We're, I'm more interested in Bible fluency. Are people fluent in the Bible? 
is it the story so deep in their bones they can just call it up at will and and I don't really care about Bible references so much and that kind of memorization. It's it's more like when I read a story to my granddaughter and when I'm babysitting and then I go up there the next time and she wants the same story read and you know by the third or fourth time I'm getting tired of that story and say let's read something else and she wants to read the same one. So then I try to take shortcuts. She knows. And she's like, no, 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 you skipped that part. Mm-hmm. She already knows it, but she wants to hear it again. It does something for her. And and that she has a memorization that has nothing to do with, you know, memorizing page numbers and references. She just knows the story. And, and if you try to skip it, I think that's the way oral tradition originally worked in the scriptures. What if we all knew the Bible that way? So we didn't have to say John 4. We could say, you know, in that part in John's Gospel when he met the woman at the Samaritan well, came after after he turned the water into wine and before after his meeting with Nicodemus, then he comes to this moment with the Samaritan woman. What if we could kind of loosely reference the Bible by context and content? Then I'm like, people are starting to know this in their bones. That's the kind of Bible memorization I'd love to see. So you are advocating that we do what with the Bible? Well, but before you ask that, we'll get into that, Rob. It's obvious that Glenn is a cult leader. <laughs> it's obvious. I mean, yeah. loosely referencing the Bible, new and improved, hey, fresh <laughs> approach. Fresh approach. You know, they tried uh, to do a fresh approach and new and improved with hostess ho-hos. Yeah. It didn't go, hey, how yeah. about new, new coke? coke? New Coke? How about yeah, the new that Coke? Was, that didn't right. go very well How either. about this? How about the reference Bible was the new Coke? That was the that was oh, the radical, oh, that was that was the radical change, right? That was that a radical change? Are Somebody you, said, "Hey, we have the right to put this stuff in there." What? Who are said you, you could do to that? Get off the topic that you are a cult leader. <laughs> so, Glenn, it, Pastor, you're listening, and again, we're speaking to small church pastors, yep. far and wide, from New Zealand to the Philippines to Rio de Janeiro, you know, all over the place. I would imagine, Pastor, that as you hear this, you're you're re- you're resonating with this because if you've been teaching the Bible, you've struggled with that, and if you've got a a, a message that you need five different references for, and you've got to go to five different places in the Bible, mm-hmm. I hope I don't know. I felt like, man, the more places I go, the more unearthing and excavation I have to do to make sure I'm not taking that passage out of context. Because I want to know that if I'm going to quote this verse, it's right. And so if I'm if I'm studying and they say, oh, yeah, here's this passage. Well, here's other passages to look at. Well, now I'm the one that's going to be up there. I'm the one that's preaching this message. I want to make sure, and I have to get the context of all this. Mm-hmm. So if you're like me, you've struggled with that too. And, Rob, re-ask your question because that's the question I want to ask. So Glenn. what is it you're advocating? What is it you're proposing that we do Instead of work through a study Bible, yeah, or work through a chapter at a time. No, I right. pick, I picked this up for you, Rob. It's yours. It's a gift from Glenn to you. That's part of the answer. But yeah, so yeah. What so you're doing in this we project. haven't even talked about individualism yet, which is another piece of the 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 paradigm of modernity. Is individualism came into its own. So all this fits together, and people are getting Bibles of their own for the first time. We've highlighted the individual engagement with the scripture as the center of what Christians are supposed to do with the Bible. And meanwhile, we lost the fact that these books were all addressed to communities in the first place. Even the letters to leaders, like to Titus, 
Titus, Timothy, those are addressed to congregations through a leader. They're about a congregation. And the, the Bible is a community formation book. So take all of this on board, new format, reading in community. What, what, I, what we're advocating is we need to rediscover Bible reading. We need to rediscover a synagogue-like Bible experience where we're reading the text together. It's not that personal devotions or individual Bible study, I mean, I still do that. That's, that's, we're not taking anything away. We're saying we've lost certain Bible practices in the modern period. One of them is reading together in community. So what if a church gets together, they have a reader's edition of the Bible, and they, they start reading big. They start eating whole books. What if they're reading through together and everybody in the church is reading the same 10 pages every day for five days a week? And then they get together once a week. The pastor's preaching from that section somewhere on Sunday. And they get together once a week. And instead of doing Bible study, I mean, they've read 10 pages a day. That's 50 pages in a week. They, they can't do microscopic First Bible study. Yeah, yeah. They, they have to say it's like a book club instead of a Bible study. It's open. It's invitational. They're bringing their real stuff. They're saying, hey, I never read that. I didn't know that was in the Bible. What's up with that? Or they said, this bothered me. I never knew Paul talked like that. That's, I'm unfamiliar with this. What's that about? That's a strange thing he said there. Um, what moved you? Where did God speak to you this week in the scriptures? Something that was really working into your life this week. And I think those are the kind of discussions people are hungry for. Um, they need to encounter the real Bible. They need to encounter the whole Bible. And I think, I think communities of people are ready for this experience. In fact, again, um, part of my job is to know the research. So the reveal study done by Willow Creek, mm-hmm. right? 80,000 people, whatever it was, it was a huge number. 87% of those people said the number one thing they want from their church is help in understanding the Bible in depth. And then 87%, that's four out of five. 19 said that's the help they're getting from their church. So there's a huge gap there, and we think there's energy in that gap, meaning there's a whole group, bunch of people saying, I'm ready for more with the Bible. It's the number one thing I want from my church. Not, not a great youth program. That's, that other stuff is all good. Worship, etc., good preaching. But I want help in understanding the Bible in depth. That's what they said. And I think... This new experience of reading Bibles and community engagement, um, take, pick an eight-week period, read the New Testament together with your group, pick other parts of the Bible. That's the other thing we haven't talked about yet is, you know, the church is overwhelmingly living in the New Testament. Um, Baker just published a book called The Old Testament is Dying. Like people are, if we think there's a problem with the Bible overall, the problem with the Old Testament is even worse. That's really a part of the Bible that people don't want to go to. So we need, we need to say, hey, we either are committed to this, um, we believe that God gave it to us for a reason, and that he knew what he was doing when he gave us this kind of book, and we need to start to engage it on its own terms. And that's, that's a shift. I think it's a, it's a paradigm shift for the church with the Bible in the time period when the modern picture of what the Bible is and what we're supposed to do with it is falling apart. So you're part of the Institute for Bible Reading. And you guys have taken, uh, I think you're using the New Living Translation? Yes, we're okay. in partnership with, with Tyndale. It's, it's a really, really good reading Bible text, okay. perfect for this kind of project. And we have a brand new format out. Um, 
there's kind of a science, which is really fascinating when you look at it. Like, there's actually a science to text design. Um, the length of the line relative to the height of the letters and to mm. the, the, the kerning, the space between letters horizontally, mm -hmm. the space between lines vertically, how much white space is on the page. You can find a sweet spot for readability where, where readers feel comfortable if the book is designed a particular way. And Bible design of text in particular has been ignoring all those rules. And so what we're doing is saying, let's take those that scientific kind of sweet spot of readability for a page of text, design sense, take that seriously. I mean, the Bible doesn't come to us like telepathically communicated to our minds. We encounter it in some way, whether it's on a screen or in a book or in an audio. Um, we're physically encountering the words some way, and we should do everything we can to make that experience of the words like a really positive and satisfying one. That also helps engagement. So we're excited about this new Immersed Bible. Um, the Messiah edition, the New Testament, is out. And it puts books, Luke and Acts, back together, kind of reorders the books into kind of more natural ways so that John is with John's letters. And it's kind of a fresh presentation of the New Testament. We're working on the rest of the Bible, and there's going to be these eight-week experiences for whole congregations to do the entire Bible this way. It's going to end up being six volumes, There'll be a program with each one. comes with audio, um, a short audio section for kids to hear a portion of what their parents are reading, and um, videos, the kind of a video trailer for each week of what a preview is of what you're going to read. And it's just, it's a brand new, fresh experience with God's Word for, for whole congregations. So you've got, you've got six volumes here. Beginnings is the Pentateuch. Then you've got Kingdoms, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, Samuel, and Kings. Uh, and then you've got one called Chronicles. All right. right, so the sixth volume, it looks like on here, uh, is the Chronicles. Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Daniel. The prophets are all in one volume, right. the major and minor prophets. And they're chronological rather than by size, which okay. is this is interesting yeah. phenomena, right? Paul's letters are in order by size in most Bibles. Prophets, major, minor kind of messes you up in terms of following the sequence of the sure, story. Yeah. They're not in order chronologically, so we think, why don't we track with the history of Israel while we're reading the prophets so we can see what the commentary on their national life was as the prophets were traveling with them through history. In, in the Messiah version, version, what do you call it, the Messiah? Presentation, presentation I guess, yeah. This book, um, is it not in the order that you'd find it in the New Testament? No, it isn't. No. So we have four mini New Testaments. Each of the four Gospels is put with a group of books that naturally fit with them. So Mark oh, yeah, with, with Peter's letters, Luke and Acts together. He was a traveling companion of Paul, so they're with Paul's letters. Matthew's with the other strongly Jewish Christian books, Hebrews and James. John so, with John's letters. So the, ver the chapter and verse designations, obviously not inspired. Right. The order of the books of the Bible, not inspired either. Not inspired. I mean, obviously, and actually, before the printing press, there was variety in the book order. There was kind of a collection of major categories, but within those categories, like in the early church, they would order the Gospels differently. It wasn't always Matthew first, and, and Luke and Acts seem to have gotten separated pretty early, but sometimes Revelation shows up after the Gospels. Um, all the letters in, in, in both Testaments there was variety of book orders until the printing press came along and kind of froze it. I never knew that. Did you know that? Mm -mm. You never knew it either. 
Rob never knew it either. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a longer tradition of variety than, and I don't think there is just one right order. Right, right. right? I think different orders can be useful for different purposes. And so your purpose is? Is reading with understanding, and especially books that belong together um, either chronologically or because they're grouped, like in, in the case of the Old Testament volume, we have the prophets, um, we have poets, which is all the song lyric books together. So they're grouped by genre. So sometimes chronology makes sense. We put Paul's letters in the order he likely wrote them. Now there's some dispute about that. It might, yeah. you know, but so what? You like, got to pick something. Pick right? something yeah. and get the general gist of the order of the issues he faced in the church as he was going through his life. And I think there's a revelation there about what was happening in the churches as Paul is going back and dealing with churches he planted earlier. You can see the issues at the end of his life were somewhat different from the beginning, and that's part of the story. So I think it's just more helpful for understanding if we're intentional about putting the books together a particular way, putting Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah back together, Samuel, Kings. I mean, the only reason they were separated is because they couldn't fit so much on a scroll. It's a technological problem we don't really face anymore. Yeah, yeah. So why not put them back together? So, so your purpose is not to be chronological? Not, not overall. I mean, in certain places, like with prophets and Paul's letters, we do that. But otherwise, um, we're trying to respect categories that just help understanding, whatever that is. We think in, some, in the cases of the writings, um, you know, the, the wisdom books, the song books, you don't really need chronology. What you need is the kind of writing kind of grouped together so people get in the mode of, I'm reading song lyrics when I'm reading lamentations and psalms and song of songs, or I'm reading wisdom books. So sometimes there's a different criteria for different parts of the Bible. Okay. Yeah. And so to the, to the pastor who is listening, who's mm -hmm. thinking, okay, so we're doing services, we're doing Sunday school, we're doing Bible studies, mm -hmm. and... Now you're asking us <laughs> to do something thing. else. Yeah. Your recommendation would be what? We've had, we've had a lot of churches go through earlier editions of this that we did called Community Bible Experience. What we found is if the pastor is all in and says, we're, we're doing a deep dive in the scriptures together, that means every women's Bible study, every men's group, every youth group, Everybody in this church is on the same page every day. So we, we stop doing whatever else we're doing, and we are all reading Scripture every day for eight weeks. And that's what we're doing. So, so I'm in on the preaching as a pastor, the, the women's group, the men's group. Everybody is doing this thing together, and it's, it, it, it becomes a thing that takes on a life of its own. When, I mean, you can do it with a small group, say, I'll do it with my Sunday school class or something. And sure, it's scripture, it's a community, it's great. But if a church really wants to see impact, I think that when they have these experiences, it's transformative because they've never done anything like this. Where everybody, the, the young people are talking to the old people, they've read the same thing that day, and they're talking about what they've read. And so you get these natural conversations bubbling up. People are going to the pastor with questions. Instead of complaining about the carpet or the new pews or whatever, the music they don't like, they're, they're talking about the scriptures because they're reading it in depth and, and they want to talk about it. So it's, and, and in, with this whole new series, you can have an ongoing pattern of saying maybe once a year we do this, maybe twice a year, maybe in the spring and the fall we do these sessions, we go through the whole Bible in three years, 
Um, we establish our own new rhythm. So the sessions are eight-week sessions. Eight-week sessions. So, you know, you can go through the whole Bible with your church in, in three years that way. Or, or just establish. I know a church in Denver that is doing the New Testament every spring and a different part of the Old Testament every fall. Hmm. So it keeps them into the New Testament, but also is giving them the whole Scripture over time. So I just think, hey, make it work for whatever works in your congregation, but find a way. People are ready People are checking out of the Bible. If we don't try something, we're, we're losing the next generation of Bible readers. Glenn, what's your education? So I went to Calvin College. I grew up in the Dutch Reformed tribe out of uh, Denver, Colorado. That's okay. You're, I'm you're sorry okay. about that. You know. We forgive you. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then uh, Calvin Seminary, and uh, was with InterVarsity uh, Christian Fellowship for a little while, but got into Bible publishing quite early when I was 30 and so uh, just just left that uh, last fall after 28 years and now I'm just zeroed in on Bible engagement. Where can uh, our listeners find more information about this? Yes, if you go to immersebible.org no, excuse me, I think it's .com immersebible.com you can find about this whole program and also go to the instituteforbiblereading.com and find out all kinds of great stuff about this whole Bible engagement perspective about reading the Bible as a story. Um, there's more we could talk about there about improvisation versus reference book living by the Bible. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things to explore. So we're, our goal is to produce more and more resources for the church to reintroduce the Bible to people. And in some ways, you, could use, you can use these sessions as almost, uh, almost mini liturgy or lectionary, mm-hmm. right? Yes. The way you'd go through a lectionary. Yep. Okay, and they're eight-week sessions. Yep. Six of them will cover the entire Bible at 10 pages a day. Yep, that's an average, but yeah. yeah. you know, Because, again, we're saying, well, today we're going to read the book of James. If it's 11 pages, it's 11 pages. We're not going to artificially stop. We're going to read in natural sections. Okay. So. Okay. And, and several times you have made a distinction between Bible reading mm. and Bible literacy. Mm-hmm. Can you unpack that for me? Yeah, and I, again, it's part of the modern period. We, I think it's a scientific model. We've said, hey, if you're serious about the Bible, you do Bible study. You become really literate with the Bible, and you learn how to dissect it. And it's, it's a modernistic way of thinking. And I think we've relegated reading to some kind of lesser status. As if, if you're reading the whole letter to the Philippians, it's not the same as doing Bible study, which has kind of been like, oh, well, I'm, a, I'm a more serious student, so I'm going to study. You guys can read. Reading is for kids or something. And I think, wait, 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 wait. These books were inspired as whole things. we got to reprioritize reading first and study in the context of reading. I'm all about study. That's great. But, but in the context of having being regularly ongoing reading of the Bible... So my study is informed by context all the time. So it's back to your, the story of your reading to your granddaughter. Yes. Who, she may asks you ask you questions about the story, yep. but it's going to come out of the context of the larger story. Exactly. And what you're saying is yep. we need to understand the larger story of Scripture. Yep. And that becomes the foundation that study comes out of. Exactly. And, and you know and study what? And reading in the in the context yeah. of community. In community, that that is, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, when I am really in a community with people, and and it's it's always amazing to me how I think like, oh, I'm a student. I've been reading the Bible. When you're with other people who are situated differently than you are, they see things that you just don't see. You, we all have our own filters. 
I'm always looking to reinforce what I already believe. I mean, I, you know, I'm like, I know what I, I believe, and I've been reading, I'm like, I'm there. And then somebody says something that I didn't see, and I'm like, whoa, I never thought about that. We, there's a community thing that happens that is bigger and better than just my own filters and me living with my own filters all the time. I need to get in other people's skin and say, how, does, how do they see it? And, and the variety, the diversity, which is a gift in God's community, is a gift to us in our Bible reading if we'll bring it back in. So are you saying when we read as a church to create opportunities, almost like a book reading club, mm-hmm. where you have an opportunity collectively to gather and to say, this is what jumped out at me this week? Are you saying to create those opportunities where discussion takes place? Right, right, I think. And I, I think um, I think the synagogue model is actually pretty good for us. I mean, we just have a window into that, uh, little small windows in the New Testament. But both Jesus and Paul spent significant time interacting with their community about Scripture in the synagogue. And it's very clear from those, those small windows we have, those were interactive Environments. Paul's invited to speak, and then the conversation spills out into the street. It goes over to the next week when he's invited back again. They're clearly having a conversation about a challenging interpretation that he's bringing. But the synagogue was the place where that community knew that that's where it happened. That's where we talk together about the scriptures. And I think, do we have, are our churches thought of as places like that? This is where we meet together to talk about the scriptures. Whether it's you know, small churches, it might work with the whole community, but at least in smaller groups where people can process the scriptures and their lives together. And I think that's what we've lost. Glenn, we're at a conference and we need to get you out of here yeah. so we can get on to the next Sorry, thing. Sorry, I, I tend to go on too no, long. No, thank you. And uh, normally we don't have our guests with us, but we're here and now I'm shaking Glenn's yes. hands. Thank you very much oh, for it's this. It's a pleasure to and be. Thank you. Again, it's Glenn Powell. P-A-A-U-W from the Institute for BibleReading.com and you can find more information on this Bible at ImmerseBible.com. Again, we were live with Glenn Powell yeah. in the makeshift studio there at the Alfred Street Baptist Church. I'm, jo- I'm, I'm sad I didn't go. I had, some, I had something else going on that was really valuable and important for me, but I wish I could have still found a way into this conversation. Glenn Powell, what a guy. Uh, and what a vision he has for getting people into the Bible. Well, if you go to the website, instituteforbiblereading.org, there's a lot of stuff there that you can look at. And you can also decide, do you want to do this at your church? You know, Do you want to read it together from from top to bottom, from the, the, first, the youngest reader yeah. in your church all the way to the 90-something? Yeah. And then uh, plan your maybe a Sunday school class, small groups, your preaching calendar around this. Uh, that'll be up to you. Definitely some food for thought about how to get people uh, reading their Bibles as story and as narrative and getting fluent in the stories of the Bible. Outside of you accusing Glenn of starting a cult, I think this was a really positive thing. Well, the jury is still out on that. (laughs) He could be a cult leader. (laughs) And Glenn, uh, you know... Now that I think about it, I'm surprised I said that. Here's this guy. He's hardly... I don't even know him. That's so Jeff, though. We go into a room and we sit down. That's the most Jeff thing that you could have possibly done. He ran with that so well. Good. Glenn did such a great job. (laughs) 
And the guy is so passionate. You know, he talked about being part of Bible publishing, how he didn't just want to keep stacking Bibles onto people's shelves and people's homes where they're not going to read them. But he actually wants to get Bible engagement into the minds and hearts of people. Right. So I I was telling you, Johnny, that in a small group recently that I had, uh, one of our members, their sister came with them. Uh, Lee, Lee is one of our guys in our small group, yeah. and his sister came with him. And, and I asked them, when you guys get together with your siblings, and they, they, she had come to visit and she was there, I said, is there a story or something that you guys talk about where as soon as you start to talk about it, everybody laughs? Yeah. They looked at each other and they said, oh yeah, the chandelier. Oh, the chandelier. And they just started busting up. They started laughing. There's this story in the family about a chandelier. And what Glenn is telling us is that when the writing of the New Testament, and even in the Old Testament, they'll reference stories. Yes. And if you're not fluent in the stories of the Old Testament and what they mean, and Jesus talked about this when he told his disciples everything the Old Testament said about him, they connected. And so that's what Glenn is talking about, connecting, making connections from the Old Testament to the New Testament and vice versa and understanding the Bible better so it's not a reference book. We would encourage you to check out uh, the Institute for Bible Reading and check out this program they have to get people in the Word. I can't think of a single pastor that I've ever met who isn't interested in having his or her congregation reading their Bibles more. Uh, and Glenn talks about why people aren't, right? Why why haven't they read their Bibles? What's preventing them from reading their Bibles? And I really believe that this can change the way a congregation approaches Scripture. And that's a, that's a pretty cool thing and a pretty cool mission. So thank you to Glenn Powell for hanging out with us. Absolutely, and it was great seeing him at the conference and... Uh I joked around with him a little bit after that interview. You know, we had, we, you know, you, you can't call somebody a cult leader and sure. then not, you know, kind of try to build a relationship <laughs> just a little bit. But I blame it on Rob, though. I think he passed a note to me and said something like, this guy is like a cult leader. It, look, as a co-host, maybe. Maybe he's allowed to do something like that? I'm just saying maybe he's not the right. He's oh, not the right oh, maybe he, as maybe a friend, he failed his amazing. audition. As a pastor, second to none. Rob Tarnavisky as a co-host, maybe, you know. Audition fail. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Super, super. Johnny, next week, great episode coming up. Who boy? Carolyn Custis James. We also met her right next to the Institute for Bible Reading She was booth. standing behind me as I was talking to Oh, Glenn. my goodness. We bumped into her, and, you know, I didn't know who she was. Turns out, hey, we're going to talk to her on the podcast yeah, next week. It's going to be a legit super so, episode. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to really a whole summer planned with great guests, incredible people that I can't believe we have the uh, honor of speaking to and that we get the privilege of giving to you all, our listeners. So thanks for tuning in. You don't want to miss next week on the 200 Churches Podcast. We hope you've been encouraged and inspired by this episode of the 200 Churches Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe at 200churches.com and receive the guy's free PDF download called Our 7 Favorite Ministry Resources. You can count on us to be back next Wednesday with another brand new shiny episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love the people in your 200 church. Glenn, how do you pronounce your last name? How, just like P O W.
Oh. Well, it looks hard, but it's not. I gotta get. Yeah, what's, too what's, many vowels. What's the origin of that? It's Dutch. 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 I'm from Orange City, Iowa. Are you? Oh, that's my people. That's your people. Yeah. They took all the vowels so the Eastern Europeans didn't have any left for their names. <laughs> so I'm getting my name badge out so you can see what my name is as well. Rob, why don't you go ahead and get yours out? I don't have one. <laughs> Just spending a few hours. I drove down from Philly uh, okay. to spend time with Jeff and Johnny. So okay. do you like Jeffrey or Jeff? Jeff. Okay. Jeff. Yeah. Jeff, do you like Glenn? Should I say it with one in or two? Say it with two. Two. Okay. Glenn. Glenn. Slinger a little. Yeah. All right. So that I have outtakes at the end of the podcast. I think we might have just created a couple created more. Created one right there. Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. I think this is going to be one of your better ones because Johnny is not recording with you. Amen. Amen, Rob. So, I don't want to brag a, or anything, but I think it's going to be one of your best. Fresh wind here. Really. <laughs> fresh wind. <laughs>